0: Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold.
1: James Orsini is the Chief Operating Officer for VaynerMedia, a digital agency with a core forum on social media, working alongside founder and CEO Gary Vaynerchuk, or Gary V, who's well-known for his bold and effective marketing style and best-selling books such as Crush It, Why Now Is The Time To Cash In On Your Passion and Crushing It, How Great Entrepreneurs Build Their Businesses and Influence and How You Can Too, just to name a few. Um, Prior to working for VaynerMedia, James was the CEO and member of the board of directors of Cito Mobile. He's also an executive VP and director of finance and operations for Saatchi and Sachi in New York. Um, also with Publicis Group, the world's largest, third largest communication group. Working for VaynerMedia was not the first time James functioned as a COO before joining Saatchi and Sachi. James was the COO of Interbrand North America, the world's leading brand consultancy with 40 offices in 22 countries throughout the world. Collectively, James has more than 30 years of finance and operations experience across a broad range of marketing and communications disciplines. And on this podcast, you will learn how someone like James can actually work with a character and a creative genius like Gary Vaynerchuk. So James, welcome to the uh, second in command podcast where we call it the chief behind the chief really interested to learn from you today in um, both in your journey of working in entrepreneurial organizations as a second in command and then also working with, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and running VaynerMedia. So maybe give us a give us a little bit of a helicopter tour as to your past and where your experience came from.
0: Uh, It's great to be here, Cameron. Thanks uh, so much for having me on on the show. Uh, I really uh, started in public accounting Um I, I worked for KPMG, I was a uh, CPA uh, and I got introduced to uh, the Saatchi family uh, as a result of uh, being on an audit of one of their subsidiaries. Uh, I uh, spent some time on Wall Street working for Goldman Sachs uh, before doing my first stint um, in a Saatchi sub, uh, the then uh, role in public relations, which is now actually uh, MSNL group Um, and uh, from public relations went into uh, branding uh, where I spent some time uh, at Interbrand uh, and uh, uh, following my Interbrand stint went back to Saatchi but this time uh, working for the main advertising agency in New York. Um, Left there after uh, five or six years became the CEO of a small publicly traded mobile media company called Cito mobile trades on the NASDAQ uh, and then found my way here into the hallways of VaynerMedia uh, working with Gary. So it's been a, uh, it's been a great uh, 30, uh, 30 years of uh, bobbing and weaving uh, 25, of which has been spent in the overall uh, marketing and advertising space.
1: And and you also bring the financial aspects in as well. So is, is the finance area fall under your purview in, in uh, a COO or no?
0: Uh, not here, uh, but uh, in, in other roles that I had, it has. And in fact, both at uh, MSNL uh, and, and Interbrand uh, and even um, early in the Saatchi uh, uh, positioning, I was a global CFO. So um, uh, at, at my peak, I was overseeing 31 offices in 26 countries, um, uh, both uh, in, the, uh, in the PR side and then on the, uh, on the Interbrand side. So I had global CFO roles before uh, taking on uh, chief operating officer roles. I became the North American chief operating officer at Interbrand. Um, I was hired to be uh, executive vice president, director of finance and operations at Saatchi. Uh, and uh, I am now a chief operating officer here at Vayner, although I was originally hired as the chief
1: uh, integration officer
0: when I first came on.
1: Okay. What was that? What's chief integration officer?
0: I think that was interesting because, uh, you know, Gary said when he hired me, look, I think I need somebody like you to help, uh, execute on the vision. I want to be a $500 million independent integrated international communications company. Mm. Uh, can, can you help me, uh, build that empire? Uh, and I said, yes, I can. And he said, okay, great. When I'm going to give you a title that's, uh, that's, uh, amorphous and loose enough to have you play in any space that I need you to play in so you're gonna be the chief integration officer uh, his his brother AJ his younger brother AJ at the time was the chief operating officer right um, so he held that role and and then after I was here about 15 months um, AJ had a very uh, public uh, departure uh, he announced that he had had some Crohn's disease and, and uh, that that uh, uh, was, was really uh, uh, instigated through uh, uh, through high stress levels uh, he, he said look this is a big company now I don't really want to run a big company so I'm gonna go off and do something else and uh, you'll become the chief operating officer uh, so that's how I stepped into the role here
1: so two two big transition points one with you know obviously clearly his, his brother CEO leaving with Crohn's and then secondly like you coming into um, you know, coming in as a CEO is tough in the first place but coming in when when a brother is leaving how did that transition go, and also what's the current scope in terms of of let's even say like the number of employees divisions? Kind of give us a bit of a picture of what vaynermedia looks like not sure.
0: yeah, so when i when I came on a little over uh, three and a half years ago it was about forty two million in revenue, a little under four hundred employees, and at, uh, uh, three or four locations that we were operating out of. Uh, we'll, uh, um, uh, get around 150 million this year. We'll, uh, eclipse 800 employees, uh, across, uh, six, uh, operating locations now.
1: Wild. And pe- like, people just literally think it's Gary running around on the streets and, you know, doing his shtick. So, uh, um, let's give us a glimpse maybe as to, um, you know, what, what are some of the strengths of, of well Well, I could,
0: I could tell you Gary is an operating CEO, so, um, uh, he's a you know he's a special uh, sp- uh a special executive that uh he, he's a strategist he's a creative but he but he is an operating ceo as well so i assure you it's more than uh, than gary running around the streets doing his thing uh and he is involved in this business although he has his hands in in so many other businesses now just like the Vayner Sports that he is uh, doing uh, with a j uh, which is something totally uh outside of uh, what we, we are now calling the vayner x remit. so so we've actually put together a a holding company type model here um, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that allows us to uh, you know do a better version of what you see in the industry interesting
1: okay. Mm-hmm. okay so we're back um so so tell me, James, when when you came in then as COO, um, what were the, you know, they typically talk about the first 90 days, first 100 days of somebody coming in as a senior executive. What was your first 90 days like coming into the organization? What did you focus on? And, um, you know, what would you have changed if you were to be able to go back now? Would you have done anything differently in the first 90? Uh,
0: I think it was really interesting because Gary said, when you come in, James, I want you to breathe. I want you to just observe uh, the culture. I want you to understand how it is that we operate here at Manor. Um, before really uh, making uh, decisions or, or um, advising on uh, protocols and things like that. So just get a feel for, for how we operate uh, and literally the terminology was breathed. So um, I think that was, uh, that was really great for me um, in, uh, in understanding the culture that he bit You know, what's unique is he's not an ad guy. So, um, and he never really set out to build an advertising firm. It just kind of happened, you know? So, um, yeah, so that's, that's both a blessing and a curse because the blessing is, um, he doesn't come encumbered with 150 year, uh, industry, uh, baggage. <laughs> um, uh, but then that also comes with the, um, uh, loose structure of, you know, here is the way things are done when you're dealing with a fortune 100 client base so um, uh, you know I think it was okay how do we take what is so special about what it is that he's created and um, and help it live in an ecosystem that uh, you know uh, uh, permeates structure and and uh, uh, and guardrails right mm-hmm. um, it's it's the racehorse that we want to make a run on the plains uh, you know of uh, of Texas rather than be totally fenced in in somebody's yard
1: So are are you focused on the system side of the business right now? The people, is it strategy? Where do you tend to um, to focus? Um,
0: I actually go wherever uh, Gary needs me to go. So um, because I've I've played so many uh, uh, chief roles in my past, uh, you know, CFO, COO, CEO, CIO, I've been a chief administrative officer, um, I've seen a lot of different things, uh, and I know how... um, Departments interact so um, uh, do I help him advise on systems I do uh, do I help advise on uh, structure and process I am and I can uh, do I help him find the right uh, uh, key individuals and hires that build out his leadership team I have um, uh, can I help him with infrastructure um, office operations uh, you know um, um, I was actively involved early on in, in the uh, opening of the office in Chattanooga, uh, in the uh, original uh, state in London. Um, I helped with his first big acquisition of PureWow, which has now created the digital publishing division under the gallery. Um, uh, you know, I've uh, I've roles in uh, his uh, uh, facilities build-out structures. Uh, Uh, whether it was here at Hudson Yards or uh, our 40,000 plus square foot studio in Long Island City. So um, I go where it needs me to go.
1: It's interesting. Tell tell me a little bit about the acquisition. What did you guys learn doing your first acquisition?
0: Well, I think it was kind of interesting because uh, I've been part of companies that have had uh, big and explosive growth, but that was mainly through acquisition been part of a company that has grown organically like Gary's uh, so uh, but there, there was a time when he really wanted to um, get into the publishing side of things and it was going to be uh, hard and long to grow it from uh, from scratch uh, he had a relationship with uh, Ryan Harwood who was the CEO of the gallery and um, you know we we uh, we helped them structure a deal that was a, you know, combination of uh, of uh, equity and, and debt um, through our partners at RIC. Uh and um, you know, went through the process, due diligence, acquisition, uh, and then the integration.
1: It's interesting. One of the one of the core areas that I work with CEOs on globally is is an area of, of vivid vision and trying to get the CEO to almost extract from their mind a four or five page written description of what their company looks like three years in the future. How do you stay in alignment with Gary's vision for the organization and how do you help shape that?
0: Yeah. So what you described is more traditional. Uh, That's not the way it's going to work with Gary, you know, because he has a finger on the pulse for, for culture and society uh, and he goes where the attention is, Mm. which has us pivoting. So, so while he makes his decisions for the long term, um, we we move quickly. Uh, often, uh, he's not afraid to make a mistake. He's not afraid to blow something up and do it again. He's not afraid to double down on an area that he believes is the future. So, um, so that has you operating a lot less structured. You know uh, the. The formal business plan that we're typically used to um, to execute against is simply not here. So, so the more I spend time with him, the more I get an understanding of what it is that he's trying to accomplish. And then I work hard to make sure that we uh, uh, fuel that vision rather than choke that vision in our own hallways.
1: So he really is focused on riding the 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 trend or the emerging trend, and and then um, you know driving the revenue or or deriving revenue from that. Exactly
0: right. Yep. That's why you know he talks about marketing in the year that you live, and you know recognizing where the attention is, and more importantly, how does he capitalize on the attention when it hasn't been priced as such yet because he's the first guy in.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. I talked to a CEO in India and he said, Americans try to invent a product and sell it to people who don't need it. And we just sell whatever people want to buy. Yeah.
0: And that's what Gary is. So Gary, Gary understands, he takes the time to really understand the consumer first. And he's not afraid Hmm. to tell the client that it's not going to work. What you're asking me to do will not work because I could back it up with these facts I'm listening to that. My ears on the ground. Um, you know, I know what they're saying, I know how they're consuming, and, and you're not positioned correctly for that consumption, and I think that's why we've been so successful, because we, we've been uh, a refreshing um, um, uh, alternative um, in the marketing landscape, but, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing it's, it's more sort of, I saw the term used the other day, and I love it, the uh, um, advertisement, so it's Nation of advertisement and entertainment coming together. And I think that's what you'll notice in Gary's world, right? He's first and foremost a media property himself. Yeah. Which then gives him the liberty to do so much.
1: Well, it, it, you're right. He definitely does have his pulse on what's happening. So how do you then get all of the employees? You mentioned culture. How do you get all the employees to have that either the same vision or be able to adopt and adapt quickly? How do you get them to be able to be really comfortable with pivoting and um, and I guess being so entrepreneurial when you are a big company?
0: Um, well, we start with the, you absolutely have to be comfortable in change. Uh, Gary is most comfortable in change. So you know mm. just change things up um, and that may that may include moving people around changing a desk moving you to a different floor um he is most comfortable in change he doesn't uh, uh you know doesn't like when when uh, the people get too angry uh we take it that we care for our employees we we um our biggest department here that's uh, not available is our human resource department right because that's what he matters most to him he's going to over index on that um, he, uh, he runs what, what he calls the Honey Empire, um, uh, filled with empathy, uh, and he, he takes the time to, to understand what it is that people um, uh, want to do, and it's okay if you only do it here two years, as long as he knows that, you know what I mean? Um, he's totally transparent with his employees. Uh, and, uh, that results in a, um, uh, extremely low voluntary turnover rate when compared to, you know, industries in excess of probably 27,
1: 28%. Sure. How do you guys find, so you've done a great job on the, on the hiring side. Is it, are you interviewing and recruiting or hiring people who are comfortable with change? Are you looking for that? And, and how do you find that? Is it, what do you use to find Look, that? I think
0: it's so interesting because, um, uh, you know, we probably have 150 plus applications for every open position. I mean, uh, there, there's no shortage of people who want to be here and in his world. And sometimes it starts with just a following. You know, his his Gary V persona attracts a lot of attention, has a lot of people who, uh, who are willing to just, uh, you know, want to play a part in that world. And his world is so vast, right? Even beyond the VaynerX stuff, he's involved in so many different things. Um, uh, whether it's the wine library, whether it's, you know, the, the book, the speaking tours, the now sneakers, the, uh, the Vayner Sports, um, you know, he's working on the secret wine project, so it just goes on and on and on, uh, because first and foremost, it starts with immediate property, which then gives you the liberty to play in all those other areas.
1: Okay. So it gets you playing the other areas. How do you, how do you then attract the um, do you work with many outsource companies or are most of your employees in no,
0: um, our employees are in house? We don't, we, we don't typically use outside recruiters. Uh, it's a lot of word of mouth. It's a lot of referrals. Um, but uh, you know, what you have to understand is in this in, uh, advertising space and, and I was in a meeting once with Gary was, was talked to a very senior creative person. Uh, and he was saying, uh, okay, so, so maybe some of the top award-winning creatives that you might see at, uh, you know, at uh, Droga 5 or DDB or Saatchi, you know, um, don't know of me and I'll have to work hard to get them here. Uh, but I can tell you this, every student in the Miami School of Design is in my inbox because the future is here.
1: Right so so in, you said in the first uh, couple of years i guess when you were there you started to help him recruit and build out the senior team mm-hmm. talk to me talk to me about that and, and what it was like building out a senior team and bring them into such an entrepreneurial yeah, space I think
0: that's what's really interesting um is uh you know even myself i didn't know gary um i knew his brother aj I sat next to him at a basketball game nine years ago uh, and mm-hmm. and when i left cedo uh Mobile. I was just calling AJ to tell him I was going to be getting back into the big advertising space, and you know, I'll see I'll see you bouncing around New York City. And then uh, AJ was like, "Hey, James, you ever meet my brother Gary?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Did you ever hear of my brother Gary?" And I said, "No." And he's like, "Well, you know, you should meet him." So, and that's how it starts. You know, understand. Once I understand the vision and what it is that he's trying to accomplish. Um you know, he'll he, he kind of knows what it is that he wants. We just hired a new chief production officer, We hired uh, a chief uh, uh, client officer. Uh, we hired a chief financial officer, All these people were hired in the last you know uh, 18 months to two years. Um, you know, and, and uh, some of them I knew personally, others I've, I've worked with in the past, uh, uh, and and some I was just part of a team that, that uh, you know, conducted interviews and said, yep, they, they might be right. So, uh, you know, that was, that was part of the maturation process of the VaynerX holding company was building out a leadership team that can help scale him on various fronts. So I told you he was an operating CEO and I helped scale him on. The mm-hmm. side, but he's, a, he's a strategic CEO and we now have a chief strategy officer and he's a creative CEO. And- uh, a, a chief uh, creative officer he produces more content than any human that I know and now we have a chief production officer he's a media property but we have a chief media officer so um, you know this is this is how do we scale him
1: and how do you how do you run in terms of a, a meeting pulse you know meeting rhythms what what are the core meetings that you use or do you avoid them um, you know, how do you guys?
0: Elaborate? Oh, I think it's really interesting. Like uh, the meetings are fifteen minutes because you know Gary believes like, look, if I if I give you an hour, you're going to fill it up with an hour's worth of shit. If I give you fifteen yep. minutes, you you're going to get to the point and we're going to move on. So I, I mean, that was really in an industry that prides itself on meeting after meeting after meeting. It was refreshing to to come into Gary's world and and really you know recognize that the uh, um, the the essence of the meeting is not the time but the point that you're trying to get across now how do you get that elevator pitch down how do you get that uh, uh, you know what is the monarch notes of the novel um, so uh, I, I think that's that's really been refreshing for somebody like me um, in fact I had somebody ping my calendar uh, just last week they a new employee they put an hour in the calendar and I click yes i'm like look i think this is at best a 30 minute meeting even though it's got outside people in so adjust it and then i'll click yes that i'll attend it
1: yeah good for you so you're pushing that yeah i always tell people to book your meeting for half the time you first think about booking it yeah. for So if you think about booking a half hour book 15. do you have a meeting rhythm for the leadership team does the leadership team meet on a on a regular basis yeah. 9 30 you know, number- every monday and what do you cover? How does that meeting yeah,
0: work? It's a, th- a three-point agenda, you know, depending on uh, what week we're in. Um, Gary does really require everybody, you can't be there in person to dial in. Uh, you know, we're, we're handling um, um, issues today. We went over a, a, a new business list. Uh, you know, we, we got a feel for uh, contribution margins by client from a profitability standpoint. And then Gary just got a finger on the pulse because uh, he's been away for a little bit, starting with Can, and a vacation. Uh, yeah, finger impulsive culture. So those were the three points that we covered off today in uh, in our leadership.
1: And how long did that meeting run?
0: Uh, that particular meeting uh, ran an hour because we uh, uh, we had missed one in the past, but they'll they'll typically run you know thirty to forty five minutes.
1: Okay. And go back to recruiting for me just for a second. Again, do you actually look for specific roles all the time or are you just hiring great culture fit people who are smart, who you'll figure a seat out for them after you find well, them? Well, you know that the
0: company has um, in its early stage when it went from five to 15 to 20 to 40 million, it was more of the same. Meaning, okay, you know, it went from, you know, a beverage client to a CPG to an automotive, okay, and it was just hire more of the same people. The transition from 100 to 150 million has grown wide, meaning there's, there's now a full-service media planning and buying property. We discussed the, the digital publishing division. We have a full-service uh, uh, a studio production company, um, and and we still have the, the the more traditional agency setting account creative uh, uh, strategy and planning. So um, you can no longer just hire somebody who's a cultural fit. Uh, you know the media guy can't help me in the studio. The agency guy can't help me on the publisher side. So you have to you know uh, you have to hire more specific to to the skill set. Um, and, and that was something that, you know, uh, is, has been new over the past, uh, probably two and a half to three years.
1: Yeah. And I agree. Cause I've always said that the, the whole, the old adage of hire for attitude, train for skill, that'll get you 7% growth. But if you really want the rapid growth, you have to hire for the culture fit and proven.
0: Exactly. Skills. Exactly. Now, what we're not afraid to do is, is challenge the status quo. So what, what does that mean? Well, we may want a a strategist who has played a role at an Amazon or Google, as opposed to just, here's the three agency roles that they held before. So so it enables us to to broaden our perspective in what it is that we place in the role. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, and I think that's what's unique here. You know, we have so many things in our hallways that you wouldn't find in a traditional agency, you know, the twenty plus person e commerce division we have the smart products division we have a small business division, so uh, you know you wouldn't typically find them in a traditional agency setting
1: have you have you killed off any areas at all? Have you killed off any any um, low margin yeah,
0: absolutely. absolutely that's what I told you he 's not afraid to make mistakes, so you know we, we uh, dabbled in uh, sampling early on and we killed that off uh, you know we, we uh, had something called Vayner Live where we thought. Um, um, clients uh, w- would be interested in pay us for event type services, um, uh, you know, kill that off, but we now resurrected, resurrected Vayner Experience, where whereby Gary actually owns the events now. So instead of us, you know, staging an event for a client, we own our own events. He is the key uh, uh, keynote speaker of our own events, and then we hire panels of people, whether it was the Agent 2021 that we did in Miami uh, last year, which was uh, for uh, real estate agents, insurance brokers, and car dealers, or the most recent voice con that we did here, where he's doubling down on uh, on brands uh, having a voice on Alexa, Google Home, podcast. So. Uh, that's that's a version two O of a division that was killed a few years back.
1: It's interesting as well. Tell me about. Um, I've always believed that the leader's job is to grow people. Um, and I was even telling a CEO yesterday who was calling me out of the blue, and he was kind of complaining about one of his employees in, in an area that she was deficient. And I said, you know, your job is to grow her. Um, you know, don't feel bad if you find an opportunity for growth how do you guys grow your people inside of Vayner? And then at what point do you feel, do you realize that you, know, you just can't grow them anymore? They're the wrong fit.
0: I think uh, that um, Gary comes out and says, hey, everybody's job is human resource. It's not just the nine or a dozen people in that, de- in that department there. So I want you to be James Orsini, chief operating officer slash human resource director. So uh, he has really given us a uh, uh, mandate and mantle to play that human resource role, to interact with people, to be able to see signs. If somebody's coming off the rails, we have the liberty to kind of step in and, um, uh, and try and make it right or bring it to his attention or bring it to our chief heart officer. Look, I think that title alone, chief heart officer, that title alone speaks volumes. This is a company with a chief heart officer. We care.
1: That's huge. Yeah. We had, a, we had a chief people officer at 1 800 got junk when I was building that brand out, and, and her role was to sit in on all the leadership discussions, but look at the people impact. So, what's your chief heart officer focus
0: She helps uh, scale Gary on the culture side, right? So, we, we talked about all those other C level roles who scale a particular skill set in Gary, uh, uh, but he is, uh, you know, he wants to build the greatest people company known to man. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, you need people to help scale you on that side. Um, Claude, our chief heart officer, does that. You know, She has a background uh, in, um, in psychology, but she's also uh, had tons of years inside of agencies, mostly on the account strategy side. Uh, played that role for us uh, early on. In fact, she was one of the executives that I met with before saying yes to the role. Um, mm-hmm. Left us for a while and came back as a, as this chief art officer role, she's a she's an important part of uh, of um, scaling Gary on the culture side.
1: Why why did she leave and why did she come back?
0: She knew she wanted to do something different. She knew that she was done, um, you know, uh, servicing CPG clients that she has for the prior years. Right. Uh, and Gary, see, this is what Gary does, right? He takes the time to understand what it is that you want to do, and then not afraid to create a role for you to have you do it in his world.
1: So classic, get the right people in the right seat.
0: My, uh, you know, know. my, my chief integration officer role was, was that as well. Um, You know, now early on when he was smaller, did he have a lot of second baseman playing center field? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, But now we're, we're getting um, much better at putting people uh, closer to their sweet spot
1: how do you How do you identify the wrong people, either the cultural cancers or the un, you know the people that are underperforming and, and remove them from the organization
0: uh, if they're not selfless when they become selfish, we quickly realize that they may not be the right fit for us when when they step outside when they're doing things that are best for them and not but what's best for the logo, we step outside um, so uh you know we have a few key indicators that tell us and obviously if they're not uh, your basic performance of tasks. We give everybody a chance to succeed. So it's not like you're one mistake and you're out the door. Uh, We we over-index. I'm really trying to help you find. But I think another thing that's great is that we will find you a role outside of these hallways if we mutually decide that it's time to part ways. Uh, We've placed numerous employees at at other companies um, uh, which have now come back to be our clients because we did the right thing on the way out.
1: Yeah, it's great. I read about that I, that whole idea in a book called The Dream Manager years mm-hmm. ago, and and how they try to move people off. Um, what are, are there a couple of core areas that you might be as an organization trying to grow your mid level team in terms of their, their management or leadership skills? You know,
0: we, we go back and forth on the mid level. Um, yeah, you know, just really trying to determine um, are are they the most valuable uh, commodity in the in the building or. Are they the least valuable commodity in the building? So, um, you know, Gary uh, over-indexes heavily on, on junior talent, the hustle of junior talent, um, and uh, that's important for us. And now the, the question is, do you, do you really uh, move to a fewer, better model on the senior side and then get this young, hungry, hustling kind of talent beneath them? We're exploring that. This is. Over the past couple of two years we've been taking the time to bring in some professional development whether it's uh, you know uh, 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 presentation skills training uh, storytelling um, initiatives uh, you know to, to help develop a level um, beyond that but you know what you have to realize here is one year at Vayner is like seven years in the industry dog sure. year. Sure. so uh, you know, we're careful with how much we spend in a structured professional development because the way we service our client changes every six months.
1: Right. It completely changes. Um, what was I going with the um, people side? So it was, give me an area then that you guys have, have really struggled with as an organization and what you've done to turn that around or an area maybe that you spotted that you had to um, really champion or, or lead.
0: Well, we're, we're still uh, questioning our, uh, our project management role, not uh, not the capability we know it's needed in the building. What we're questioning is where does it belong? Um, does, does project management at Banner Uh, belong uh, in a separate department as it had existed for for long? Uh, Does it belong rolling up into the production division as it currently resides? Does it really belong as part of account management and account services as we are debating? So, you know, we as as our business model changes, remember where this company came from, right? It was um, micro content, a lot of pieces thrown out into the internet. You know, small bits of, of uh, creative with uh, community management or people seeing how others were engaging with it uh, and then doubling down when they see where somebody engages. Now it's fewer, better pieces of creative content with media dollars behind it. Uh, it's a different way of operating. So therefore, divisions the visions that were, were right and built in a certain way need to change uh, because the way we're servicing our clients changes.
1: How do, you, how do you interact with clients? Do you spend a lot of time on-site with clients? Or are you working with them over video, remotely? Uh,
0: yeah, so, um, so clients really love being here because they sense the energy. Um, they love taking meetings uh, here. Most um, recently, I was helping get the um, uh, Vayner Production Studios uh, back on track, a little cl- more closely aligned with Gary's vision. So I was spending two days a week in the Long Island City uh, location. And I know, uh, because I was part of the team that built it, but um, um, no other agency has what it is that we've built there. Uh, No other creative agency has that. Um, Other separate production companies exist, right? Radical Media Nice Shoes Tool, they exist, but they're not really owned by Uh, you know, an agency to have that kind of resource. So, you know, that resource is right for probably uh, 60% of what the agency does, maybe 70%, you know, 30% of the time the agency will still have to go outside to get what it needs done. Um, But that that studio was built in such a way that it could take direct to studio work and, and direct client relationships that fill the other 30 to 40% that's not being filled by the agency. So, uh, clients love being there, love seeing what we've done there, get a real wow factor from it. Gary loves being there. So, you know, he's been spending more time there as well.
1: When we talked a bit about, about not outsourcing with um, search firms, do you guys use any partners or other companies to do any parts of your business for you?
0: Absolutely. We have an enormous, uh, uh, partnership uh, platform team. Think about all the platforms that we have to partner with, right, the, the, the Facebooks, the Snapchats, uh, the, the uh, Instagram, Pinterest, the Googles of this world, the YouTube, you know what I mean? Uh, and and yeah. oftentimes we become a preferred uh, vendor relationship for them because there are so few. So if you go on the Amazon, we're, we're a preferred vendor of the Alexa voice skills build. Uh, We were one of the first um, approved agencies with an API into Snapchat's advertising model. We have a wonderful working relationship with Facebook. So, uh, yeah, we we have a deep and broad um, um, partnership uh, portfolio team.
1: How about how about remote employees do you work with any remote employees or do you have most of them working out of offices
0: um we have most working out of offices i would not say that we we don't and uh you know um look we've become an on-demand society right so the days when i used to be able to go on vacation and shut things off and address it when i got back uh, that's gone you know we're, we're always on it, right so um, you're answering a text, you're dealing with an email, um, even from a remote vacation area. So, you know, our, our, our people can work from anywhere, um, but we don't have a work-from-home policy per se.
1: And are you guys an always-on company then? Yeah. Yeah, we, is we, that is that... We pride ourselves on that, because right?
0: this, is, uh, this <laughs> is why Gary sees this as, you know... The, the, the future of public relations, right? The, the days of I'm going to issue a press release and then, you know, I'll react to things in the morning when I get back at my desk. That's not how it goes now. You know, when social media, if somebody's doing a number on, on your brand at 2 a.m., you want somebody reacting to that. Not like, okay, 9 o'clock the next morning, let's get to that.
1: So, that's got to be a huge cultural norm that you, you actually hire for then. I mean, anybody.
0: Absolutely. That's why the average age of our employees is 27, right?
1: Well, and it's, inter- it's interesting that you've got that kind of heart centered um, approach and that you care so much about culture. And yet at the same time, you can build that always on you know, organizations. So, it's, it's got to be a delicate balance because so many organizations in the media try to talk about you know, the five hour work day. Yeah,
0: it's, um... it's not a delicate balance when you realize that that's how society operates. Okay, we are always on. Uh, so, so that's why Gary says he observes society. Okay, it's hard if you're going to try and make somebody something that they're not. It's very easy when you're just fitting. Why is it so collaborative here? Because these guys are used to collaborating in a college environment, right? They work four and five people together. Okay, they're not worried about anybody stealing their idea or who gets credit for it. So, you right. know, people ask me when they walk into Hudson. Like, well, why does it feel so different here? Why is this corporate? Environment feel different. I saw so four or five offices and 600 people shared their views. You know, if this was down in one of the other companies that I worked for, you know, all the big wigs would have all the corner offices and all the, and everybody else would sit in the dark center hole. Uh, that's not the way it is here. This is, a, this is an open floor plan, not because they came from an office, but because they don't know any other way of working anyway.
1: Right. And, and is it an open floor plan even for the senior executives yeah, as absolutely. well? I love yeah. that. Absolutely. So, what what are your favorite technology tools that you guys are using internally then for Vayner?
0: Um, uh, so, we're currently using uh, a Slack as a communications tool that, that we use. Um, I've been uh, uh, working with my studio people using the Marco Polo app. Um, so yes. Uh, you know, it's worked really well for me. Because when when, I told you I'm only there two days a week, so when I'm not there, the other three, and I need to feel face to face, it's how I keep in touch with the people that run my London office, my Chattanooga office, my LA office. It's not to say I don't visit there because I, I will. I have three trips planned in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, those are uh, uh, some of the things that we're really, uh, really finding useful. But, you know, we're, we're still, uh, uh, we haven't walked away from text messaging either. So. Uh, i think that's uh, that's pretty unique for us and then we you know we follow each other on all the social platforms too so it's great great to see what happens you know on a weekend in somebody's instagram account or um with what's the twitter hack of the day um so you know i'm active on snapchat twitter linkedin and instagram
1: interesting yeah it's interesting because you even made a couple of comments about some of the senior team and understanding just understanding who they were as individuals and it's great to hear that as part of the culture um i guess last last question i've got before we sign off and this is just more of a i guess a leadership tip for any um anyone aspiring to be in the second in command role or even even any entrepreneur who wants to grow a great organization what would be your strongest skill or leadership skill that you would want to pass on to somebody else
0: you know gary uh gary asked me um Uh, Can you describe what you do in one sentence when when we were having dinner during my interview? And I said, yeah, I take dreams and visions and I make them into action plans. And he's like, okay, you're hired. So um, how did I become a chief operating officer? I was sitting in a conference room with, I don't know, nine, maybe 12 people at Interbrand. And the then North American president said, who in here has great ideas? And we all raised our hand. And he's like, okay, who in here can execute? And I raised my hand. Uh. Ah. So, uh, you know, I also, uh, I, I, after I was a CEO, publicly traded CEO, I read a book called Consigliere, Ruling from the Shadows by the name of Richard Heitner, who used to work at Saatchi. And it was about being a great number two. And I was like, you know what? This is really who I am. Um, I'm glad I played that number one role. I'm, I'm glad I could say, you know, there, there are so few who can actually say that they were a CEO of a publicly traded company. I'm glad I did it. I had a three-year contract I stood three and a half years, but I know what I don't want to be, and it's that. Uh, but yet, having played that role enables me to interact with Gary differently than the 800 other employees here because there's nobody else in these hallways who has played that role. So, you know, there are times where he's making a decision. I know how difficult and lonely that decision was, you know, and, and you know, I might just ping him and, and say, look, uh, don't you handle that well? And, you know, I know how hard that was or something, you know, it's a lonely position
1: as a CEO. Yeah. It's amazing that you actually, you get that, or thank you for sharing that. I think that was when I was the the second in command for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I, I considered that my role was to make Brian the CEO iconic mm-hmm. and my role was to play in the shadows and really be that, um, And and that's a huge, huge insight to to be sharing. So thank you for that. So James Rossini, thanks for being on the Second in Command podcast. And really great to hear from the chief behind the chief.
0: Thanks Cameron, thanks for having me. Look forward. Oh no,
1: appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron
0: Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.